Peace, grace, this is Pastor Colton Lott from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, El Reno. We have the privilege of building Christian community in El Reno for the world. And so if you care about building Christian community or El Reno or the world, we're glad you're listening to this podcast. If you want to help contribute to the gospel work of this congregation, please visit our website, fcclreno.org, and go to the Give Online tab. And now, here's the sermon for the week. Good morning, El Reno disciples. It's good to be with you. If any of you don't know me, my name is Colton Lanan. I serve as the senior minister alongside so many others in life and ministry. And today, um, I am not with you in worship. I am with the uh, Higher Education and Leadership Ministries Leadership Fellows Program as our rising seniors in that program have their global awareness experience seeing the ways in which the church shows up in places near and far. Um, and today, we are this year, we're in Puerto Rico. And so at, while you are worshiping together, I am worshiping with uh, two Disciples of Christ churches in Puerto Rico. Um, so even while we are away, I hope that you know that uh, I am remembering you, and particularly that uh, you go with me to these churches, for surely, as corny as it is, I carry you with me when I go. As many of you know, in this series, we've been splitting up the sermon into two parts, where there's some preliminary instructions about how to read the book of Revelation as a whole, while then there's a more typical sermon given on a passage in particular. And so this isn't the takeaway from the sermon. Kelsey will do a beautiful job helping us to experience the living word of God. But this is for those of you who are interested in knowing the book of Revelation deeper, or if you're ever interested in reading it on your own, because it is a confusing book. Indeed, it has made Christians wonder, why do we keep it in the Bible when it is so confusing? Today, I want to do highlight that it is true that Revelation is, in fact, controversial in its pick. It was one of the, uh, it is the last book of the Bible in many senses of the word. It is the last one in order of scripture. It does speak extensively about in the end, uh, when God will bring complete uh, creation to completion, just like God did brought uh, creation in the beginning. God will bring creation to the end and back to a new beginning. But it was also last in that the early church wasn't sure what to do with this book. It wasn't always popular, uh, or it wasn't the most popular picks to be scripture, um, but enough churches used it, and it had a connection to this John of Patmos that some people thought might even be John the Apostle. We're pretty sure today it's not, but all of those things together, its usage, uh, the ways in which it upheld the tradition that Jesus had given, helped the early church to ultimately say yes, although uh, it was um, a more controversial yes than other books, for this being one of our scriptures. It has been carried lightly throughout Christian history. Um, John Calvin famously didn't write about it, right? Um, anyway, 
I say all that simply to say that we stand in a long line of groups that have found this book hard. And then also, we know the ways in which this book has been taken up, especially in the 19th and 20th centuries, and now 21st, to predict um, particularly geopolitics, to try or to try to find the exact date on which civilization, as we know, will end through one forceful act of God. None of these predictions have borne true that we are aware of. Um, every one of those groups have experienced uh, what first began with the Millerites in 1843, which is the Great Disappointment. We, meanwhile, sell many books and movies about a supposed interpretation of these books that will produce uh, a great left behind or a great rapture, even though neither of those are really accurate to the way this book describes things. So we are left wondering, why do we read it when it seems so prone to misuse? And even the best Christian thinkers have asked, what's its best use for the church? I think it's worthwhile. I think it's worthwhile for two reasons. The first is that Jesus is at the center of this text in powerful ways, and but especially around this dichotomy that John paints. The Lion of Judah roars. The Lion of Judah is the slaughtered lamb. So what does the Lamb of God have to teach a people that are obsessed with lions? And the second is this. It assures us that God's resurrection is real and that God's resurrection is for us and that God will bring the entire world into renewal. For surely God is ending a world. But when God makes a new creation, it isn't as if we are all being taken off of one planet and placed on another. It will be the renewal of this creation where everything will be made right again. And so I find this book very worthwhile for Christians just like us, even amidst hundreds of years of controversy. This book of the Bible has withstood. This book of the Bible has helped. And this book of the Bible has spoken truth. If we dare to study it. Meeting the in-laws is one thing. (laughs) Preaching for them is a whole different thing. I am so grateful that you have invited me here today. You already seem like such a generous audience, so thank you. Our scripture today comes from Revelation, chapter 21. Sorry, got a lot going on. Chapter 21, verse 10, and then 22 through 27. And then chapter 22, 1 through 5. And in the Spirit, 
He carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God is its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. People will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will enter it, nor anyone who practices abomination or falsehood, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are healing of the nations. Nothing accursed will be found there any more. But the throne of God and the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And there will be no more night. They need no lamp. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they will reign forever and ever. Here ends the reading. Will you pray with me? Holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Now, God, as only you can, open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts so we may see you and know your calling on our lives more deeply than before. Amen. As Tara shared with you, I work for the Oklahoma City Housing Authority, so I work in social services. And the joy of social services is that I get to work with people who are building a better world and making a better life. And the challenge of working in social services is that we are doing so within a system that is limited and dysfunctional and at times unimaginative. <laughs> My coworkers and I are there because we believe in the possibility of a better world and the people who are on their way to make it. Yet all of us have had moments where even with such great faith, we're a little crushed by the systems that we live in because they are limiting and unimaginative and dysfunctional. For example, studies have shown us that the most effective way to end homelessness is to provide housing and provide it without any strings attached. Then surround people with supportive services that they can access when they are ready. A person doesn't have to earn their way into housing by being clean and sober or by being enrolled in any programs 
or committed to any certain path or going to a certain church. They must only be willing to have keys to their home. This model is called Housing First, and it is the most successful model for people and the most affordable model for cities or continuums of care. It costs less than emergency shelter, emergency services, and policing of encampments. And all of the cost that is associated with keeping people unhoused. But there's a problem that we run into. It's hard to fund Housing First initiatives because they're thought to cost too much money for the wrong kind of people. Even when housing agencies operate on this model, like mine does, there just isn't enough money to have enough housing so that we can end homelessness. People will wait for housing, not for weeks, but for years, because there's not enough. We can imagine a world where everyone has access to clean and decent, affordable housing, but that is not the world we live in. But this problem of our imaginations versus our stifling reality is present in areas other than social services, for sure. I've heard teachers imagine better school systems and classrooms where they can work with their students in ways that the current system doesn't allow. I have heard them on the, on the cusp of burnout as they talk about what it would be like to teach in a school that puts students first in every single way. I've heard attorneys imagine that laws would be concerned with morality and not just what is permissible by a legal standard. And I hope that whatever area of the world you are in, you also have dreams of a better world. And this world is where we find ourselves in the scriptures today. But this world just isn't just better. It is the best. It is perfect. On the very last pages of my Bible, this author, this author is carried away to this imagined world. And we are carried away with him to Jerusalem. The new Jerusalem, the holy city. And it's coming down from heaven. There is no temple here because the temple is the Almighty God. It's important for us to be careful here in this section because some Christian interpreters have said that if the temple is gone, then the barriers and priestly privileges that come with it are no longer necessary because Jesus. But actually, in the tradition, there is an absence of a temple because everything is perfect. You don't need to have a specific dwelling for God. God is dwelling everywhere. People don't need to create something that is unnecessary because that would be inefficient. And there is no inefficiency in this holy city. 
There is no place that God's holiness would overpower. There is also no sun or moon. Seems a little odd to me. I love the outdoors. I love the sun. But even greater than the sun would be holiness itself. Being perfectly sufficient for all living things. This place is safe for all of its inhabitants. There's no need to close any of the gates. And nothing bad comes in anyway. Because the only things that come in are good and pure and holy. This all kind of reminds me of the TV show The Good Place. Has anyone watched it? It's, it's a show about the afterlife. And everyone who arrives in The Good Place is greeted with a message that says, everything is okay on the wall directly across from them. They get to walk around their new afterlife home, and everything is perfect. There's ice cream, and there's no lactose intolerance. There's flowers, and there's no allergies. There's an abundance of everything you could ever want. Even if they talked like sailors in their lifetime, they couldn't say bad words in the good place. They would use other words instead. But let's get back to this holy city we're in. There's this river, which is a symbol of the flow and rhythm of life, harvest, cleansing, and enoughness. It never runs dry. It's kind of like the river in the Garden of Eden, which is the starting place for all of this, this whole story. There is also a tree of life, which bears fruit that sustains our lives and has leaves that heal. And there aren't any rules that will inevitably break and then cause a whole stumble for all of humanity. We'll walk in partnership with God, separated by sin no more. Even able to look God in the face and see that is holy. And our love and closeness with God will be so evident that it will be written on our faces. Many good stories end neatly in a place that resembles the beginning. It's a good literary strategy because the beginning of a story poses a question and the end of the story answers it. But there is a problem in living in stories is that you cannot live in stories. Our faith is real and this vision of new heaven and new earth is metaphor. The pieces of the puzzle that are revelation are not our experience of the end of the story, nor was it for the readers or hearers. The author has carried us away with him to this new world that gives us hope and imagination and dreams for something better than what we've got here. But at some point... We must also return to this world, where we live now. We must stop being carried away and carry on instead, living in our systems that stifle creativity, or limit our capacity for goodness, or reek of dysfunction.
The American author and poet Carl Sandburg said, nothing happens unless first we dream. Our dreams are what give us direction and inspire us to move forward, and they keep us from despair. The dreams of a holy city, or even just a better city, those are dreams that motivate me to carry on in my work. It's not my ego or my self-righteousness or righteous anger that is going to change the circumstances. But instead, that's not what Jesus taught anyway. Jesus taught us to live with compassion and mercy and care. And those are the things that send us on our way. So I invite you, as you dream of a better world, be rooted by that dream and also carried away by it. Let the world we imagine together be one where God's light shines so brightly we don't even need the sun. Where we walk with God so closely that God's name is written all over our faces. Where there is enough healing and nourishment and life for everyone. And let us take steps toward that world by carrying on in a work of loving God and loving our neighbors deeply and fully and with our whole hearts. Amen. Amen.